Hello and welcome to the Unworking podcast. I'm Nicole Barreto, Business and Innovation Manager at Unwork, and it's a pleasure to be one of the hosts of this series. In this series, we'll be hosting exclusive discussions with innovators, thought leaders, authors, business leaders, and leading industry professionals who have a unique vision or perspective on the future of work and workplace. Our mission is to provide a holistic overview of current and future trends, predominantly covering six key areas, people, place, culture, design, technology, and innovation. So the past three years have been nothing short of transformative as the pandemic forced the world to adapt to a new reality. We have seen work and workplace hugely affected and it's a topic that's at the forefront of many minds. How we reimagine work in the workplace will be the overarching backbone of this podcast. And it's a pleasure to host this exclusive discussion today with Matthew Marson. Matthew is an experienced leader working at the intersection of technology, sustainability and the built environment. He currently works for JLL Technologies as Managing Director for Advisory in EMEA and will be speaking at WorkTech's Unworking Conference on the 14th of June, sharing how smart buildings are valuable in uncertain times, a subject that is moving to the top of the agenda for many businesses and corporate real estate leaders. So welcome, Matthew. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. So... I think we'd just like to start with kind of sharing a bit more about yourself. You've had an impressive professional journey so far, working with organisations such as JLL, Accenture, Neom and the Crown Estate, to name a few. So could you just introduce yourself and share a little bit more about your journey to date? Thank you very much. Um, Yeah, I I, uh, I suppose started uh, by training as uh, an architect and uh, an engineer um, which kind of, I suppose, was the thing that you know, I'd always loved the, the idea of working in the built environment. And I suppose when I started as a, a graduate management consultant as Accenture, um, is probably where I first started to learn technology. Um, and that kind of began with uh, building out a, a business around heating, ventilation and air conditioning analytics, where clients would sort of come to us and say, um, you know, we would like to look at reducing energy consumption. Is there some kind of a system that is probably better mm-hmm. than people that can help us do that? And was able to grow that to a kind of multi-million dollar business with lots of help. And then they gave me far too much money and responsibility to <laughs> their um, global innovation center with kind of everything that you could think of um, to do with the Internet of Things or technology uh, in the sort of built environment to prove that it really worked and that was my baby it was called the dock um and it had all sorts of great use cases around energy space management and really getting people to connect because the premise that we were working on was that innovation existed in the cracks between people's interests and um yeah folks were really interested in it it won the accolade of the world's most connected building and mm-hmm. um it basically meant that for the next few years i lived on a plane I'm going to work for the Fortune 500 on things to do with uh, real estate, technology, and how those two worlds came together. So uh, I suppose after that point, that's when I got more and more into the construction world and was invited by WSP to come and set up their smart buildings and cities practice that we called Smart Places. 
and that's mm-hmm. where I got to work with some of the cool starchitects, um, if that was practices like Foster and Partners or Bjark Engels Group on Neom, um, which was an amazing project. Um, the, the brief was so industrial, so fourth industrial revolution that it would kickstart the fifth. And then uh, probably towards the end of my time there with uh, Renzo Piano Building Workshop on Paddington Square, which is uh, Renzo's next building in London. And um, yeah, I've I've been just so lucky with some of the recognition that I've received for that. Last year, um, the Royal Academy of Engineering gave me Young Engineer of the Year, which is very cool. Got uh, got that from... um, Congratulations. Thank you. And then uh, the City of London gave me uh, the the freedom of the city. So yeah, it's been uh, it's been nuts. <laughs> yeah, and it probably feels like a bit of a whirlwind as well. And uh, <laughs> time flies by quickly when you're having fun, so they say. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So you are a published writer and a holder of a doctorate. So you are actually a doctor. So I didn't actually say that in the introduction, but. Um, these achievements have obviously kind of meant a lot to you and shaped your career. So I wondered how these have impacted your approach to the topics you're so passionate about. Yeah, um, so the doctorate basically came about because I was writing down uh, what I was working on, what I'd learned from it um, through in, in some journal papers at the time. And it kind of very naturally came together to give me like... Um, a body of work that sort of demonstrated like learnings in the field and how like innovation technology uh, and the built environment kind of comes together so it sort of naturally happened and I think the passion was sort of born from uh, the fact that I absolutely love my modernist architecture which was like inspired by the technology of the time which was the airplane the ocean liner automobiles and it feels like with uh, the smart building stuff, it's very much the technology of our time. If that's semiconductors, connectivity, and you know, simple but specific bits of artificial intelligence, um, it's really cool. And now that we've got a mission that needs that the mm. planet needs to come together on around um, preventing or you know, uh, lessening mm. the impact of climate change, we're working on stuff that needs to be beyond cool. It's mm-hmm. a bit uh, Yeah, we'll come on to that kind of subject a little bit later on. But um, I guess kind of moving the conversation on towards sort of smart buildings, um, you're talking at the Unworking Conference on sort of the value um, of, of smart building technologies in uncertain times. And I guess I just wanted to ask you um, how you think they can be an asset for businesses navigating uncertain times. Yeah, I think it's probably got three bits to it. The first one, it's about knowing your onions. If you don't know what you're doing with your energy, how you're using your space, or you don't even have any form of productivity benchmark, then I don't know how you're going to know whether or not if you've made a change that Mm. you've actually achieved something. The second thing is what the technology can do around the adaptability of your space or your portfolio. How are you able to respond to the market Um, if you can't do something as simple as making a change in software. So let's say you need to um, half your space. Um, If that's not something that you can easily offboard, then I don't know how you respond to Mm. some of the issues that you might have. And the third one, I'd say, is probably around active improvement. Systems can often do things better than people, especially around topics of energy optimization, security, space planning, all that sort of stuff. So in summary, I'd say that if you're not using these 
uh, sorts of technologies, then I think that's a problem. No one has ever been fired mm. for making something better, especially if you have data that has justified mm, your absolutely. start. So in your experience, what are some successful strategies or case studies where companies effectively utilise technology to achieve cost-cutting without compromising employee experience? Yeah, uh, uh, there are some really good examples. I think um, one of my favourites is probably the Salesforce Tower in San Francisco. Um, They really cared about energy management there. So they went for uh, a lighting system that would do daylight harvesting, which means it will only top up synthetic light in addition to what the sun isn't providing. They also made the tower naturally ventilated. So in the grills uh, between the floor, effectively, you are kind of walking on air in that building. It pulls Mm -hmm. Uh, fresh air from the outside with a very small air handler that kind of gives the air a bit of a kick and there's like a sort of pull-up thing in the floor that you use called a swell diffuser which helps you then bring the temperature down given it's a a highly glazed building so they've put in some real simple kind of comfort stuff that means that you also stay healthy Mm. one would probably be around what um the folks from Smart Spaces have done a a little bit closer to home at 22 Bishopsgate. So from the design that I put together, I think Dan and team have delivered an incredible security experience that means that loads of plastic cards aren't printed every year and you either use your face or the app in order to get into the building. So we've kept the place secure, we can trust it, we can feel comfortable there, but we've not dealt with the, the cost and also some of the plastic wastage of uh, endless passes. And then maybe my third one would be uh, a project I did for uh, a big technology company where we'd implemented some of that those uh, air conditioning analytics in their UK and India campuses, which optimised the system so we prevented simultaneous heating and cooling. That's where you actually like use your boiler and your chiller to mix what is basically outside air temperature anyway. Or, you know, we'd prove that the air con wasn't keeping people comfortable for whether we could see from some of the return air pressures. Um, so the fact is, you know, we were using less energy and made the space more comfortable. So there was never a kind of worry on some of the productivity stuff. And those are the sorts of stories that I love because it has both business benefit and then the user gets something out of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. So could you elaborate a bit more on the balance between cost cutting and employee experience and how can companies find the right equilibrium there? It's a really tough one. And I'm definitely hearing from our clients that they want more experience, but in less space. Mm. And often they're really good at the less space part, but need more help in the experience. And where I think they're struggling and there isn't an easy answer is there are just so many organizations that didn't come back to the office in exactly the same way that they did um, before uh, the pandemic. And it's meant that there's a couple of competing priorities. Firstly, as individuals, we're trying to deliver the same amount of productivity that we did when we were in crisis mode on back-to-back calls. But then we're also trying to rebuild our culture, which means that we're coming into the office and we're trying to have like a very sort of quick power collaboration meeting for one hour, but then try and do six other calls within the day. And it's uh, really difficult. Like if you were a corporate real estate lead, it must be such an awful sort of position to be in at the minute because I don't know who's coming in. I don't know what they're going to be working on. I just can't like even begin to design what the right sort of space would be. And 
All I know is that the current thing of the open plan desk where we used to do focus work now kind of feels more like a chicken coop with people on calls, blah, 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 blah all shouting <laughs> for each other and meeting rooms aren't giving us that sense of collaboration. So mm-hmm. our advice to get the balance right would be to do away with those open plan areas and maybe we designate part of a floor somewhere uh, as where people try their best to shout and do calls, but the rest of it for actual collaboration. So not just meeting rooms, workshop spaces uh, in, where you can put post-it notes up on the wall. Where do we host beers or uh, mini TEDx talks or whatever they are? And a proper investment into collaboration technology. How could you like give an experience that's equitable for somebody that's both in the room and outside of the room? And there's some good like kind of technologies that I've seen around um, you know kind of whiteboard sharing um, you can do that films you or the way that the camera tracks whoever the speaker is some of the kind of cool acoustic stuff that um, is happening the technology is definitely getting there but it needs to work and then the final thing would be there's no point doing any of these uh, sort of refit outs or investments in technology if you're not going to change the policies that go with it. We learned very quickly in the mid 2010s that just shrinking spaces down to something that you know was cool and we work could make, despite the really aggressive occupancy ratios, there has to be fundamental policy and behavioral changes that go with it so that we know the office is about coming together. And if it's about me getting on with stuff, I do it from home. Yeah, yeah, no, completely agree. So moving on, ESG, the big acronym, the big kind of topic at the moment, it's really significant. Um, How are you seeing organisations use smart building technologies to support their ESG goals? That's kind of, I guess, question one. And then the second part, how can we learn about forecasting the value of smart building technology investments? Yeah, um, I'm basically saying that the E part of ESG, the environmental, seems to be the one that folks are leaning most into i think because they're the most mature use cases so around Mm -hmm. environmental the things that a smart building uh, can help you with is energy consumption if that is your lighting your hvac or your plug load as your method to try to get to net zero carbon but then we're also seeing some more interesting uk use cases around material consumption and waste um so that's not too much water what you're sending to landfill versus recycling and then maybe some kind of wasted space and what you can do with that But where I would like to challenge organisations is to use the technology that they already have for environmental for both social and governance purposes. And in social, uh, I think that's things around engaged and purposeful people. So how you are delivering kind of collaboration, places that people want to be, somewhere that is great such that you um, start to affect employee attrition or perhaps even the impact that you put back out into the wider world with your corporate social responsibility programs. So that great visitor management tool that you've invested in, why can't you give some of your meeting space to charities of the weekend or help them host events? You already have all the infrastructure to pull it off in a secure way. It could be something that's great. Or even if you're looking at the number of air changes you're doing an hour, maybe people's circadian rhythms with your fancy lighting system, I think they... Uh, that employers have a responsibility to make sure that negative health outcomes aren't put back into the NHS and your building can certainly help do that. And then Mm. in terms of governance, um, it's about having places that are well managed and maintained for safety so that nobody gets hurt. And uh, 
finally, I'd say it's about being secured so that your systems, now that we've added them to converge networks and there are all sorts of sensors talking to one another, that they can't be hacked or controlled by others. Um, so I think there's lots of opportunity there for how a smart building can benefit ESG. Um, and yeah, the, the difficulty of forecasting the value. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it's as much of a dark art as it used to be. Um, at the minute, I'm kind of working on a book that I hope will be finished by the end of the year, depending on you know how busy things get. But I've been through uh, about 50 of my old projects and sort of what I've learned from them. And um, I've basically sort of uh, found from the trends that for every one pound that you invest in smart building technology, I would expect you to get at least three pounds in value back from it in a five-year window. There are obviously some caveats and some things like it definitely doesn't work for spaces below 100,000 square feet, but anything above, I just see a sort of growing um, returns. And uh, I think now that we've got lots more case studies, um, it should be a bit more of a no-brainer for folks. Mm, that's a really interesting metric, and uh, we look forward to hearing more from your book and and uh, <laughs> all of your kind of past experiences. So, I guess I just want to end on asking you, I guess, looking to the future a little bit. So, what do you think the future holds for smart buildings, and how do you envision their role evolving in the next five to ten years? Okay, well, uh, this is my mystic map moment. Yeah, uh, I think. Uh, We'll see uh, some consolidation in the vendor landscape as we learn actually what works and what's proven and what was just really good marketing. Uh, I think we will see the definition of smart buildings continue to evolve. And my sort of hypothesis is that it probably changes every three years, depending on what's sort of trendy at the time. And um, I hope that we will see more fun going into buildings uh, and that we start to design more personality. If it's pimped with something like chat GPT, uh, I would love for our buildings to feel a bit more like Downton Abbey, that we've added a software butler to that will talk to the other buildings, perhaps my phone and the way that I've trained it into the things that I like. Mm. Um, And we have that sort of user interface rather than a bunch of different apps and um, sort of dumb voice assistants. I want like our buildings to develop that personality. I'm really looking forward to that. I really hope that comes true. <laughs> Matthew, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. You'll be speaking at the Unworking Conference, as I mentioned earlier today, on the 14th of June in London. So if anyone would like to see Matthew, please uh, go along to the conference. Thanks again. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks. If anything discussed in this podcast has piqued your interest, then please do get in touch with us by emailing unworking at unwork.com. We aim to deliver engaging and informative content for our community, and your feedback plays a crucial role. If you have any comments, suggestions, or simply want to share your experience with this episode, we'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to the Unworking Podcast. Thanks again for joining us. <laughs>